namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Aparuta de Sangamata Satawara, ye Sodawanta Bamunjantu Satang. So this evening, uh, reflecting on the Dhamma, the way it is, and even though I've is something that we can describe in words, yet the way it is is not is not defined, is it? It's something you notice, you recognize. And uh, learning to trust in this awareness, this ability to be awake and aware in the present, and to, to uh, challenge yourself more, to be able to apply it to just the uh, daily life realities that we have to live with. So we, you know, we're from a society that's very much based on belief in time is our reality and the ego, the person, the conditioned realm is our real world. Uh, so that the impingement we get, the kind of information and confirmation of these delusions are everywhere you know the reality of being a person a personality um, time is our reality uh, and the various cultural attitudes opinions views feelings emotions physical body And then when we awaken to Dhamma, then we're looking at Dhamma rather than at illusions. So the Buddha used this, this, this uh, teaching of the five khandhas as a way of, of uh, investigating conditions, condition phenomena, or that which uh, is continuously changing or a rising ceasing. And so like the the attitude of vipassana meditation is to really observe, you know, keep reminding yourself of the the changingness of what you're feeling or seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking is like this. Changing is like this. The nicha. So then we're seeing Dhamma, we're contemplating the way it is rather than uh, holding on to views about how things should be or we, we tend to have opinions and views about how we would like life to be. Or what we don't want it to be so that we get caught up in wanting and not wanting. So this is our, you know, the practice of the holy life, the samana life is, is the, the whole point of it is to keep investigating, to keep reminding yourself, observing anicca dukkanata in regards to uh, the physical body, uh, the, what we uh, feel, the vedana, the sanya, the ability to remember, uh, memory, uh, emotions, and then the consciousness that arises through sense contact. So this is, then to be able to, to reflect on the five khandhas means we're not operating from any khanda. We're not trying to, to uh, start with the basic uh, illusion and, and investigate Dhamma with, with an illusion as our 
position that we take. And that's why I keep challenging you all the time to, to uh, see this, uh, the illusion of being a person. And I'm not kidding, you know, this is quite serious, important thing. It's, you could break through the illusion of Sakya Ditti or the personality. If you could just challenge that more and see it, not, not to, it's not a matter of judging it, but recognizing it. This sense of I am this person, my body, my feelings, my memories, my life. <clears throat> me and mine, and the way that, that very thought pattern tends to divide experience. And if the more I affirm that I am this body, this person, then that makes you more real in your separateness. I see you as a really a separate person. I see you in terms of the differences of memories that I have and, or prejudices or biases or whatever. Uh, that I might uh, interpret experience with out of ignorance. So this first uh, fetter, uh, Sakaya Ditti, <coughs> I keep um, encouraging you to keep keep at it, seeing what it is, to get to to know it in all its facets. You know, it's not a matter of getting rid of it, but recognizing it. So in no way can your thinking process uh, delude you. Or the assumptions you make about yourself, uh, you know, with the, from the identity you have with the body or the uh, conditions, the emotions that you're experiencing, the memories, various identities we have. This is the big, you know, the, the uh, importance of this practice is to break through, to see Dhamma, to, to take refuge in Dhamma rather than, than always be caught in identity with the convention or with the conditioned realm in any way. So even though we, we, you know, the convention might be very good, and that, but still attachment to the convention itself is out of ignorance, is not liberating. Maybe it can be uh, skillful in a way. You know, one can create a, a, a made a more positive sense of self-worth or goodness, and this is not to be despised, but it's still coming out of ignorance not understanding Dhamma, not really seeing, not penetrating, but merely operating from this basic illusion. I am an unenlightened person that needs to practice in order to become enlightened. So just this very sentence, I am, and then when, you know, the, in English uh, language, pronoun I, am the verb, and then, then I define myself. I am Ajahn Sumedho, I am 75 years old, I am a Theravadan Buddhist monk, and I don't like that. And then this, this whole sense of I am is qualified with adjectives, with, with the perceptions of various kinds. Some good, some not very good, and others quite maybe neither nor, either or, neither nor. <clears throat> but that which is aware of I am is not I am, is it? And so this is, this, I keep emphasizing this awareness, and then intentionally thinking I am. It's not just thinking about I am not anything, it's, uh, which is just amounts to the same thing, attachment to thought or the concept of anatta, there is no self. One can, can operate from a position of that there is no self, attached 
to the words from the scripture, anatta, non-self. And that is not it either. It's not attaching to, to concepts about non-self or about Buddhism in, in any way, but in recognizing, coming from a different level rather than from the thinking level, the conceptual level, from the intuitive level. Which is uh, awareness, mindfulness, in which the self then is, is witnessed, is observed. So Sakayaditi is, you know, this personality view is, is a perception that we create. It's not a natural thing, it's an artificial condition that we create. It's an artifice. It's uh, the, the thinking mind uh, is a discrimin discriminatory function. So recognize that it is, its very function is to divide, to separate, to compare which, which is the best and which is the worst and on and on like this. So the thinking mind cannot be trusted. As if we start from ideas, from thoughts, from doctrines, concepts, positions of any sort, no matter how good or altruistic or profound or sublime or whatever their quality might be, that very attachment, non-questioning, non-investigating, then we, the result will always be some, some kind of dukkha or suffering as a, something never being quite sure. Doubt is usually the result. Or feeling angry and indignant about life because, uh, you know, we can conceive it as it should be and it's not that way. How, you know, how oneself should be. How many of you disparage yourselves a lot because you're not what you should be? You can't make yourself into the ideal monk or nun, the ideal samana, the selfless, compassionate, monk or nun that you imagine you would like to be or that you should be or that you would expect me to be or others to be. So th that this way of investigating is you're learning to to find your true what Lung Po Cha always referred to as our real home. So this uh, concept, perception of the real home, home is where you, you can relax and just be yourself, isn't it? When you're a foreigner out in the world, I mean, you have to be on your guard because you've got to defend yourself or prove yourself in some way. <clears throat> There's so many things that are uh, affecting you in a society, in a situation uh, where at home you can just relax. And so this real home is, is recognized through this awareness. Mindfulness, sati, sambhachanya, satipanya. Now we can, you know, wanting to, to create perfect monastery, uh, perfect community, harmonious sangha and all that, these are ideals. Uh, so they're, you know, wanting this sangha here to be harmonious and, and uh, trustworthy and what it should be, what we imagine a sangha of samanas should be. And if we attach to that, then we can only feel discontent with the way it is. Uh, because when we attach to these ideals, even though they're, 
they're certainly beautiful in themselves, then the realities of here and now aren't that way. If you notice in any situation, whether it's a marriage, a professional life, living alone, living with others, monastic life, whatever, there's always something that, you know, some, even when it's at its best, you know it's not going to stay there. It's not going to, you can't make something perfect and then keep it there. Because the nature of conditioned phenomena is change, and Nietzsche. That's why it's so, so important to recognize this. The conditioned realm is this way. It's not meant to be, <clears throat> it's not, it, it can only be what it is in the present moment. So at this moment it's like this. In this, this way of just opening, paying attention. So that can apply to, you know, the physical condition, emotional, uh, psychic, whatever condition you're in right now, whatever you're experiencing, it's like this. And that which is aware of the way it is, is this is, this is to discern that this, this is your refuge, this is Dhamma, this is the real Dhamma that you take refuge in, in awareness of the feeling or the quality or the emotion that you're experiencing now is like this. So then this is what we call reflecting on the way it is, being the observer, the puto, the, the knower, rather than somebody trying to do something in order to get something that you would like to have in the future. And that's why it's a, it's a very direct teaching, because it isn't, you know, it's, I'm not telling you how you should be, I'm not asking you to be something, and, uh, and you know, and the, how you should feel, but encouraging you to be aware of feeling in the present. So this is a continuous reminder of, of this is necessary because we, we forget so quickly. Emotions are easily, uh, you know, they're very sudden and one can go high and elated and or depressed just according to the, the weather. Just something like that, whether it's hot or cold, sunny or rainy. Today, unlike the, the uh, elation about the American election, you hear on the radio all the screaming and yelling and, and that, uh, the kind of high of of uh, Barack Obama winning the American presidential election. But then later on on Radio 4 listening to pessimistic views, then it brings you down a bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's great, you know, first, very, uh, first time in the history of the United States of uh, um, um, black man who was ever elected president of the United States. It's quite amazing in itself and inspiring to somebody like myself because uh, knowing the history of that country and its racial problems you know, over the years and the terrible way the, the black community used to be treated uh, when I was a child and now, uh, you know, they're still a minority, they're not the majority race in the United States, and yet somebody like that winning the election, and you feel inspired and uh, elated by that, proud. For the first time in years, I've, I've felt a certain pride in being American. 
haven't felt that for decades. And <laughs> but <laughs> because it is, you know, how successful uh, President Obama might be, uh, you know, over the years, I don't know. But it is quite, quite wonderful to see that happen in a country which can be incredibly racist and violent about race. And yet, immediately, the, the thinking mind will produce all kinds of other scenarios about being assassinated or being the conspiracy theories about him a tool for, for some conspiratorial movement to destroy the planet or whatever. It's, uh, and this, of course, brings you down emotionally. That does me, anyway. So that which is aware of this, you know, of, of getting high, uh, inspired, being elated, and also wanting, wanting to sustain that, wanting everybody to be elated, to support my elation, because I quite like it. You know, it's nice, it's a good feeling, you know, feel happy. And you want everybody to join in uh, and support your happiness, and then somebody says something negative and it brings you down, or you just don't want to, you don't want to contact people that you know will criticize. Because emotions are like that, isn't it? Being praised, everything, isn't it wonderful? And then jumping for joy, and then uh, somebody says something uh, negative about it, and then you feel like this. So praise and blame, happiness and suffering. Just recognizing how delicate these emotions are. And you know, how, you know, we, we give so much importance to what we feel. Our feelings are so important to us. Uh, and so we, we want to, you know, we live with our feelings because they are so, they, you know, they can go up and down so quickly. So that's, you know, so if it's just a matter of trying to, to think positively and create positive feelings and, and, and not mention anything, don't rock the boat or don't mention anything negative, you know, we get into our controlling mechanisms out of fear. Uh, so we're caught in this realm of fear and wanting to, to control things, to keep away the unpleasant fit, to have the illusion of everything is all right, everything's okay. So the, the world is, uh, you know, is in this way, is, is a changing condition. It's like our emotions. It's sunny, we're happy, it's cold and wet, you know, we, we can get depressed. Our side wins, and we feel happy. Our side loses, we feel angry or depressed. You see it in just football, you know the way people get elated over winning or the way they get angry or depressed by losing a football game. Now this is, uh, you know, just pointing to the most obvious realities that we human beings have to live with is feeling. Now on a, the ego level, it's a very another delicate situation, isn't it? To support the ego, a sense of my self-worth me as a, uh, as a person worthy of respect, me as a successful person, me that is appreciated and recognized and loved and admired and, and so forth. Like that, wanting to be, to be um, praised and admired and respected, held up, And then there's the, the opposite, 
because in the opposite can, he, he, he can arise very quickly of not being respected, not being admired, not uh, being criticized and blamed, rejected, hated, and, and that we, you know, we can't bear, it's shattering, it's, it's devastating. We use words like it, it's devastating to be criticized shattering because uh, the ego depends on you know our sense of being somebody depends on you know to feel safe and secure being admired and and uh, being respected and being appreciated being loved being recognized but also in that very in that desire to be recognized and respected is its opposite, goes along with it. So the Sakyaditi is a very vulnerable, unstable, uncertain, changing condition dependent on other conditions. So as a refuge, having, uh, you know, your ego as a refuge is not a very, it's not a very stable one. So when we talk about refuge, it's not the ego, but the awareness. That's our real home. It's that awareness being present here and now, timeless. Santitiko akaliko ehipasiko dhamma. And then the puto, the knowing, nor of the worlds, nor of conditioned phenomena. Knows the Dhamma, knows the way it is. So in this, a Buddha and Dhamma as a refuge. Not the words themselves, but the words are pointing at the reality of awareness. And then they, you know, consider that all of us have to experience life from this position, the bodies we have. So I like to contemplate this, this uh, consciousness. I'm experiencing consciousness from through this form. So that gives me a perspective, you know, I see you as an object of my sight right now. I'm looking at you as an object and because of the limitation of the form, of being born into this human form, and right now sitting on this high seat. Consciousness. Now this is reflecting on the way it is. It's making no judgments. But it's just noticing that consciousness through this form. And then what I project, and then I can see, you know, you have names and, and uh, forms and, you know, qualities and so forth that, that I can, uh, you know, that I create in my mind. I give you, I ha you have names and uh, positions, junior, senior, monk, nun, lay person, young and old, and on and on like that. Black and white. <clears throat> so in the, in the Buddha's uh, dispensation, he's pointing to this, the reality of this, this awakened consciousness, so that we're, we're learning from the way we're experiencing you know, from this position with the form, the limitation of the form that we're in. But where we are noticing the experience that we're having now in terms of Dhamma rather than in terms of cultural values, personal preferences, emotions and feelings. 
So this is, you know, it's, it's beginning to recognize and appreciate just pure consciousness that, that, we're, that we can recognize wherever we are, you know, we're sitting here, standing, walking, lying down, breathing, body feeling hot or cold, or just right, or pe pleasure or pain, and on and on like this, awareness of these conditions. Now this uh, awareness then is, again I, you know, because of the Sabhanta Vipassana terminologies, everybody gets confused around these terms. You know, how much samadhi should I get before I do vipassana? And then there's different levels of samadhi. You read the scriptures and you can get your mind into a real twist over the terminologies. Because you, you know, you try to figure them out or you read their definitions in the Pali dictionary. <coughs> but this is where you're trusting yourself more and rather than, than always trying to fit experience into concepts that you get from somebody else, you know, begin to uh, appreciate that consciousness is, is, uh, is, you don't create it. It's not personal. It has, it's not black or white, male or female. Not about, it's not good or bad. But it is, it's like this. Then the conditions that we're experiencing now are dependent on other conditions. You know, so right now it's the evening time, evening puja, it's the observance night, it's, it's like this, gets dark early, the American elections affect me like this, <laughs> the, And so then this is, we, you know, we're being this observer, this knower, rather than somebody doing something in order to get something we would like to achieve in the future. Now, in the you know this this opportunity we have here, Amravati is a very good one. With the katina that we had and the generosity, the support of this monastery, uh, you know it's it's got so much in terms of what is necessary for survival in a comfortable life. We have quite a lot of physical comfort here, so. This is, uh, you know, to be appreciated, but not expected. We're not demanding or expecting it. As samanas, we, you know, we're reflecting on uh, the four requisites and uh, the, that which is absolutely essential for survival. Then the Dhamma teaching and putting it into practice. And that's, that's what is, is all I'm really interested in is, is uh, enlightenment. In giving, you know, is pointing to, is encouraging you to awaken, to be aware, to see Dhamma and not make a lot of 
fuss around the conditions. They're good enough the way they are. So that, you know, this way we, you know, we can always contemplate how we would like them to be, but, but that doesn't do any good because uh, you can always think of improving, making it better than, than what it seems to be at this moment. But we're not interested in improving or making things better, but in awakening to the way it is. That's why the four requisites are placed on such a low level. They're not about, you know, high quality conditions uh, in order to practice meditation or having everything just the way, you know, that our feelings and our particular unique conditions are respected and recognized, but giving us the opportunity to, uh, say, survive on alms, on the generosity of the lay community, in order to awaken to Dhamma, to be free from delusion. Because a human individual is free from delusion is a great blessing to the society. Just having monks and nuns in a monastery cannot, doesn't necessarily a blessing to the society. We can be a pain to the society. Because if so we're just coming from Sakya Ditti Thila Bhattabaramasa Vichikita, from the ego, from the, our own views and opinions of what we want and how we think things should be, then we create discontentment. Uh, we complain and blame and create the problems that societies have all the time. You know, the society we live in is people are not content. You know, there's always something wrong and something missing, something not right, something that should be done. In any society, anywhere in the world, the worldly mind is like that. It's based on ignorance, on the sense of me as a, as a permanent entity, on my rights, what I think, what I want, my views should be respected. I should be respected as a human individual. What I think should be listened to. And right? in modern life, isn't it? Should freedom of speech? Where does that end? You know. So this is a problem now because. You can say almost anything, and then sometimes it offends others. So then we get into political correctness, trying to to control speech. So you 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 try not to offend anybody. So we become precious and go out of our way to say things in a way that hopefully nobody will be offended by anything we might say, because people are willing to be offended very easily from the ego level, isn't it? How many of you are offended e easily, uh, personally, by any criticism or not getting what you want or, you know, being uh, not respected the way you think you should be? Or the way one can talk can be offensive and we can be offended by that. So this awakened sense of awakening to this sense of being offended is like this. Wanting something that we don't have is like this. Not wanting it to be the way it is is like this. This we can actually do. It's not, it's not making any conditions about how things should be, but it's really using the way it is for, for awakened development, for pavana. So that we're, we're not complaining or demanding or, you know, causing any more uh, friction in the society, but we're actually can live, we can offer to the society a sense of perspective of contentment, of gratitude, 
of being a samana, being at ease, being at home, in an awareness, because this is a, a lot of power, a good effect on a society if we, if we really make this our determination. And that's how I see the whole purpose of this monastery is Amravati, is to cultivate this. To We've got the perfect tools for it if you'll just use them for awareness. The, uh, the tools we have are really good. You know, if you, you know, the Four Noble Truths, you can't, that's a very skillful convention to use for investigating and for awakening and realizing Dhamma, getting beyond the first three fetters. So this is why, you know, during this, Winter's retreat that will be coming up in January. Uh, I I encourage you to not just wait for that to 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 uh, be mindful, but also this is part of our life, isn't it? To have the, such occasions where we can devote so much time, so much our lives to just this relentless investigation. It's like you have to keep keep reminding yourself no matter what, no matter how you're feeling, no matter what's happening. They used to, I read it in some simile uh, metaphor in a book one time about a rat chewing through a wall. You just have to keep chewing till you get through. <laughs> and so, you know, it's... Uh, but you can get through if you if you actually uh, trust yourself to to be awake and aware to to recognize to appreciate it to adore it this awareness this empty conscious awareness is like this and and then to to affirm it and cultivate it in the flow of our life. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not demanding that you be content with everything <laughs> because that, you can't do that. But you can be aware of discontentment. So this is like the first noble truth, isn't it? I feel discontented, unhappy with the way it is. It's like this. That's awakening to there is dukkha. Dukkha should be understood. Dukkha has been understood. Or feeling insecure about anything, wanting security and feeling insecure or whatever, feeling angry or indignant is like this. All of it is grist for the mill, is the path if we're just willing to, to recognize it. If we think we've got to iron out all the wrinkles in the cloth, solve all the problems before we can actually practice, you'll never, you'll never get anywhere. You'll just be caught, you know, be reborn again over and over again for millions of more lifetimes. <clears throat> now this is, this to me is uh, the only thing, you know, what's worthy in this life is what the point of, of our life is. It's only this, it's not for anything else. It's not for bringing Buddhism to the West or establishing monasteries and, and all the other grand 
kind of ideals we might have and uh, cherish. You see, it's a, it, what good is a monastery if, it's still, if everybody in it is still ignorant? So, you know, even though they call themselves Buddhists, so the important thing is the weakened investigation of the way it is. And of course, this can apply to wherever you are, whether you're here or Chithurst in the America, in Thailand, wherever, in, the, in a pleasant, peaceful environment or a noisy, chaotic one. Because awareness is not dependent on conditions supporting it. It's just, it's learning to recognize it and trust it. So if each one of us takes responsibility for our practice, you know, awakened attention, and that way we're, you know, we are supporting each other and offering something beautiful to the society. <clears throat> and this is, uh, you know, to, I take the responsibility for my practice. I, you know, mindfulness here and now, investigation of the Dhamma, as, as it manifests in my consciousness, you know, my own reactions, emotional reactions or feelings or physical conditions, being praised or blamed, being, um, whether it's sunny or rainy, with whatever happens, good or bad, right or wrong. Because conditioned phenomena is, you know, it's, it's, it, as, you, as you keep investigating it, keep noticing, it is changing. It is, you know, conditions are the way they are in the present, but they're, they're changing. And so you can, you can conceive of conditions being permanently. It's easy when you're depressed to feel that you're going to be depressed forever. And then when you're really feeling down and life is pointless and, and you're a failure, it seems like you're going to feel that way forever. At least that's, that's the impression I have whenever that happens to me. But if I observe that feeling, you know, it's a, this, that, that shift from grasping and becoming a depressed person to observing it, makes, then suddenly the condition itself is, is observed, it's changing. And it's a way of, of seeing and learning from the ups and downs, the successes and failures of uh, the conditioned realm that we all have to experience in this life. So then in, in uh, m you know, my own experience of being grateful, the shelter for the night, food in the alms bowl and so forth. Gratitude, contentment, and with that, establishing that, then we can really, you know, we have perspective because if we're, if we're just always discontented, complaining, blaming, then there's no way, you know, and we, we, we don't see it. We believe our own, our own negative feelings, our criticisms. Uh, then that will always, we're bound into that realm again wanting it, not wanting it to be this way, 
wanting something we don't have, not wanting it to be the way it is. Where, you notice the Four Noble Truths, the mindfulness is always here and now. Sometimes I like the way it is, sometimes I don't like the way it is. You know, aware of liking and disliking. It's not that I don't like or I'm beyond like or dislike as, you know, as if I've, I don't have those kind of feelings anymore, but awareness of them is what I trust in, is my refuge, not in the actual feeling of liking or disliking anything or anybody. Also, the, to see the samsara, the, the world, the, con, the changing conditions, you know, I'd like to practice sometimes just, just a kind of this attitude of the world is like this. And then I, do, I open to the, you know, in this broad way of just listening. And then I notice the sound of silence in the background. And then from there, I can be aware of the feeling of just maybe of dis-ease or whatever, uh, when any kind of worldly uh, thought enters the consciousness. And just like with the American election before last night, listening to, uh, you know, there's this anxiety about what if uh, they elect McCain? <laughs> So, you know, because, uh, you know, we, you can tell my political leanings. <laughs> but uh, monks aren't supposed to have any views about politics. <laughs> but this explaining about <laughs> this, uh, the effect of this election, listening to the radio, uh, BBC, and, uh, you know, the way they report it, and how the emotions would change. You know, wanting to hear, you know, what I wanted to hear, not wanting to hear that, you know, that how successful McCain might be, and only wanting to hear how successful Obama is. Being aware of this, I'm just, when, you know, when, when the electoral votes came in for Obama, this feeling of happiness, and this feeling of distaste for the other side and is like this. And, and this feeling of, you know, of, of uh, kind of um, being excited and stimulated by, you know, wanting Obama to win and not wanting the other one to is like this. And so you, you know, you're witnessing just how these conditions you know, your own particular personal uh, political views or tendencies, how they affect consciousness. Now the refuge then is in the awareness of it, not in, in holding to the position. Now most, most people probably just, uh, you know, are dependent on the position of, of winning or losing. <coughs> And, and so this is, you know, because they don't know anything else. They're stuck in that realm. When you win, you're happy. When you lose, you're depressed. But that which transcends elation and depression is the awareness. It, it embraces all of it. Success, failure, praise and blame, the whole lot. Everything belongs. The worm in the apple, the worm and the apple, the snake and the garden, everything is, belongs in this, on the conditioned realm. It can be, you know, good or bad, wonderful, terrible, polluting or organic, pure organic or, or polluted, poisoned, it all belongs. Poison, pollution, 
purity, organic, the whole lot, everything belongs in this. Now this is just a reflection. And because when we, when we don't recognize this, then we think we've got to get rid of the other. Uh, you know, then the, the logic comes in of getting rid of pollution and poison and trying to create a society only with, or, you know, purely organic, clean, unpolluted air, everything is pristine and wonderful. That's an ideal. But this realm that we're, we're living in is, includes it's the, the positive and the negative. You know, it's not a matter of preferring one over the other. They, they all belong in this realm. The, the uh, criminals, the mafia, the gangsters, the demons, as well as the angels, the good people, the honest, good citizens, they all belong. Now I'm not saying that, that, you know, that it's not a judgment, is it? It's just recognizing that conditioned phenomena is like this. It's, it's, uh, it has these qualities of good and bad, right and wrong, clean and dirty. But awareness isn't clean or dirty, isn't it? it when, we're, when our refuge is in the awareness in the present, then it's, it, you know, we're no longer stuck into that divisive realm of right and wrong, good and bad. We're no longer limited and victimized and enslaved to our feelings, to the uh, conditions that we experience the, through the body, through the senses, through the society, because we find our true nature, the deathless reality that can only be recognized through the imminent awareness that is so simple that it's overlooked, not recognized, not appreciated by most people. So pointing to that constantly is, uh, is my way of, of trying to encourage you, because we do need the encouragement because the, the pull of our emotions and the worldly values are so strong and so real for most, most people who have not, who, and most people have very little opportunity to practice and cultivate the way we do, the way we can, yeah. So that's why, you know, just consider, you know, the summoning of uh, the requisites, the gratitude, this sense of uh, the respect that our community receives from the lay community to support it, providing the requisites. And this, this to be reflected on again and again, as we say. So we never take it for granted, not, you know, assuming that, that people should give us anything at all. You know, that's not a samana, is it? That's, that's just somebody that, that's full of themselves, thinking, I, you should support me. <clears throat> it's still sakya ditti uh, illusion. So also in this life, because of this, it's a joyful way to live. If you if you are content, you know, if you have developed uh, wisdom, cultivating wisdom, because then, you know, we, you know, we're not just isolated entities, you know, enlightened individuals that, uh, you know, uh, just live for ourselves alone, but an enlightened human being is a great benefit to the world. Now this is not personal, is it? It's not about me or you being enlightened or unenlightened. But recognizing that that's our true nature. It isn't something 
beyond your ability, unless you, you know, you conceive yourself, you're firmly convinced you're unenlightened and you, and you have a lot of work to do on yourself in order to become enlightened. If you're fully committed to that illusion, then that's the way you're going to experience life. You know, you'll be, spend, you know, all your, waste of your time just trying to improve yourself endlessly. When, what I'm saying now is this way awakening to that sense of a self. So if you do think you're, you're somebody that needs a lot to do, a, to change and make yourself better, it's like this. It's as simple as that. Just listening to, to what you think you are. But being, beginning to trust in this awareness of, of the uh, perceptions about yourself. They are what they are, you know, so it's not, not anything about your perceptions being right or wrong, but they are what they are in the present. So this feeling of being a, a person that uh, has still a lot of defilements that needs to do something, practice hard in order to become enlightened in the future is like this. So I'm, I'm observing this, this illusion I create. I create that with my thought, isn't it? I'm thinking it. Or I'm not trying to convince myself on the Sakyadita, I'm enlightened already, I don't need to practice. I'm perfect the way I am. That's not it either. It's not about I am unenlightened or I am enlightened doesn't make sense, it's not, a, it's not language, it's not, it's not uh, grammar. It's, be, it's recognizing this awareness, awakened consciousness, informing consciousness with wisdom, seeing, the, seeing Dhamma, knowing the truth of the way it is. And this, this is within all of our potential, you know, it's not, it's not about me being more advanced than you. And you might think, you know, Ajahn Sumato's more advanced. He's, he's older, been at it longer, and so <laughs> That's another creation, isn't it? That's another illusion that you create, that somehow, uh, you know, I'm more advanced than you are. And so, you know, just being observing of this, of, of how you see yourself as, as not being very wise, or maybe you're arrogant, maybe you think you're wiser and better than the others. It's like this. You know, I've practiced hard for 40 years, I'm a lot wiser than you, you young whippersnappers. <laughs> it's like this. It's an illusion, isn't it? It's a personality illusion. It is what it is. <clears throat> the more you investigate like this, then you're, you know, you're, you're actually using wisdom with consciousness. And, and if you keep d doing it like gnawing, a rat gnawing a, a hole through the, through the thick wall, you'll break through. Because you're actually going home, you you'll find you you know all these these ideas about yourself, what you think you are, and uh, these are artificial. This, that's why you know you can never find your real home on a personal level. Wherever you go, whoever you're with, you're always going to feel something a little insecure or separate or difficult or whatever, because the personality. Sakyaditi, Silapatabaramasavichikisha, that's, these are artificial creations. And so they'll always keep you in a state of some kind of anxiety, even at its best. There's always a sense of, of a kind of maybe subliminal anxiety. That when life is going well and everything is hunky-dory, there's still a level of, of, you know, kind of, but feeling to it, you know, it's not going to last. <laughs> so
So this is, uh, and the conditioned realm is, that's why it's, it's called, it is dukkha, it is suffering. Conditions are, their very nature is unsatisfactory. In other words, don't seek satisfaction through the conditions. Because they, they're, they're uns, their very nature is unsatisfactory. So you can only be disillusioned if you're seeking satisfaction through conditioned phenomena. Looking for the perfect conditions. So, this evening I offer this for your reflection and uh, consider, you know, observe what, how this affects you. You know, when I talk like this, when I say these kind of things, how it affects you, you know, so you're aware at least. I'm not, you know, trying to figure it out and whether it's, it's right or wrong or, you know, it's not a matter of, of thinking about it but recognizing that when I'm speaking like this, talking in this way, right now, this is what it feels like, like this. It's not just trusting that awakenness in the present, recognizing it, Re- its reality, you know, that, that is the refuge of Bhutto, of Buddha, knowing Dhamma. And that's what real Sangha is, Supatipano Ujupatipano. It's not about a person who's practicing well. It's about practicing well in the right way, seeing clearly with wisdom. Do I offer this?